Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to In Conversation, a Dub Lab podcast where each week we will bring you interviews from the Dub Lab radio archives. Liz Warner for Dublab. Detroit-based duo Adult have defied definition and expectations throughout their two-decade existence. Nicola Cooperus and Adam Lee Miller have incorporated electronic elements from Detroit techno and matched it with the unbridled raw power of rock, creating a sound that's all their own. Their new record, Perception is as of Deception, comes across as a sort of visceral release in a time of turmoil and discontent. It was recorded and set for release before the coronavirus pandemic took hold, but somehow fits in perfectly with the daunting mood it has produced. Thanks to technology and some remote studio trickery, we were able to have a conversation about their art, both visual and sound, and how their new record is centered on the notion of perception, a topic that would be given new life under unusual current world events. How did you go about changing your perception in order to make this record? Nicola had an idea, and she always has like an overarching theme when we start a record. And she came to me as we were thinking about it's time to start a new record and said, and Nicola often has like, what do you call it? Non-sequesters. Is that the word? Non-sequester? Like there's no transition into what she says. So all of a sudden she says, hey, I'm thinking it's going to be about perception. And I'm like, what's going to be about perception? And she's like, the new record. And that's how it started. And then I said, what does that mean? Right. And so then I think I had just been thinking, like, what could we do that would be really different um, in a 23-year career um, of how we generally record and what would be interesting and what would um, what would be inspiring and and so I just thought, like, let's paint our basement black and work down there. And how will that affect, you know, the sound we're making, but how will it also affect the way we're feeling and what we're thinking and, um, like, what sort of bubbles out from that deprivation, right? And there's no windows in the basement. So, I mean, it's like a it's altered a, state. Yeah, it's a black hole. That you're just working in a cold, damp, black hole. So you were kind of trying to mute, in other words, maybe how about sight? That's one of the senses. Yeah. Anything else that you're thinking of in particular? Yeah, I mean, I think because we're both visual artists, like the visual side was very important, like dampening 
that getting rid of it and 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 seeing or not seeing what would come out of not having that so i could ask i guess in a, in a series of questions like what what did you think it would do and then what did it actually do maybe we should just switch to the <laughs> what did it what did it actually do in the end well one little story that I think is funny is Nicola set up the rules for how to write this record, which was we had to be in the basement. It had to be, you know, completely black, low light. And it was maybe like four or five days into working on the demos. And I come upstairs from the basement and Nicola's in our library and she's working on lyrics. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, <laughs> she said, well, I'm, uh, I was just working on lyrics. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I'm listening through the floor. <laughs> and I was like, but you said the rules, we could not work outside of that black hole. You have to come downstairs. And she was like, Oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really challenging at moments. It's not always an environment you really want to be in. Um, because well and we recorded it from may until end of august august the so what we did is we only took a small amount of gear from our studio into the basement into this new space and so this i'm only talking about the demo period but that in the summer was such a crazy experience because, you know, you would come upstairs and then it would be like, you know, full sun and 85 degrees, but you're down in this, you know, cold basement cellar. And um, it really, it would, it would immediately put you into a headspace. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of taking away the, very thing that you use to understand the world in a way like some of that some of that visual aspect which is so important to your music right right um some of that the sound is being i guess in a way maybe the sound is then just being hyper amplified in your head exactly like, did it get deaf deafening ever was it ever something that just almost was almost too much and you had to step away is this the first time that you decided to be that particular about your environment for a recording? Well, on this behavior, we also did something similar, but like almost a 180 where we went to a friend's cabin in the middle of winter and we just took a selection of gear and basically set it, set it up on their kitchen table and sort of locked ourselves into this shining situation. Um, but to me, you know, that was very scenic. We were taking walks, like in snowstorms. Um, there it's, were, it's up in Sheboygan on um, what is uh, Lake or Lake Huron? No, but the Mackinac, Mackinac Straits. So I mean, it it's literally on a cliff overlooking the Great Lakes. Um, like any lake house, it has big windows. So it was completely scenic. So I know that that 
played into Nicola's decision to there was just do a, quite the opposite. A lot of uh, freedom, in a sense, even though we were kind of locked in, um, there was a lot more freedom and emotion. And I really and I and I feel like while I love this behavior, I do feel like that record is sort of disjointed and fragmented. And I really wanted to write a record that felt like it was compact and like everything made sense together. And, and that's what I felt like by writing the way we did, that it would feel, it would feel that way. And I think it does. I mean, I, I feel very, even though, you know, we're in the middle of, we're in the middle of a pandemic and about to release this thing into a black hole. (laughs) I feel like, you know, I'm really proud of this record, maybe the most ever, because I think it's really like the best culmination of everything we've been working towards, like our entire career. I mean, some people may disagree, but it's, it's like the way I feel about it. I feel a lot of a lot of warmth from it, actually. And sometimes with your music, it's kind of deceptively uh, comes across maybe to many who don't listen or, or take into account as a bit of a cold adventure because you have the, the machinery, the sounds of the machinery and then the your vocals that that can sometimes kind of work with that in a way that feels distant. But with this one, there is more a little bit more warmth that's added in. I don't know if, hmm. if I was trying to figure out what it has to do with. If it, if it has to do with the the recording quality, I think it has to do with your vocals. I think it actually has to do with everything. And perhaps, of course, with the idea of, of this perception and this altering of perceptions right. as well. It, it could also be, I mean, quite frankly, at the end of the demo writing process, I was hospitalized for four days. Oh my, I was sorry. I was coughing blood for for two days. That's why I, I went to the emergency. I had gotten really sick, uh, actually on my birthday, June 28th, and sort of continued to suffer through this sickness in writing the demos. And I think, you know, when... And the doctors, you know, sometimes I joke, like, maybe I was COVID, you know, patient zero or whatever, because they really couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I had every test done and, you know, everything came up uh, negative, you know, tuberculosis, Legionnaire's disease, all all this shit. And um, anyway... I think it's interesting what that d- does to you. You know, I was like lying in in the hospital thinking, "Shit, we we're we're done with the demos, but we haven't done the final recordings. Like, what if I die? Will this stuff just will will th- this album just die? You know?" And I think maybe that maybe that's even some of it where there's that emotion in the final recordings of like, wow, like I went I went through that. <laughs> and it, it also it actually completely changed the characteristic of her voice. And I think she has a, a yeah. warmer, like an old lady smoker like <laughs> vocal now. I think my lungs are literally scarred from being so sick. And it it did, like all of a sudden she was hitting lower registers that she's never hit. And I think that warmed up the record instead of, you know, you can think of like anxiety always. She's always kind of like right at like this high pitch, um, this moment of 
it's almost shrill, but it's not. Uh huh. And then you take this album and you take like a song like Have I Started at the End, which is actually the song that she went into the hospital while working on. And it's like such a lower register. Wow, that's that's a I'm I'm really sorry that 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 happened to you and I'm I'm really glad that that you're okay because that can be traumatic, but I can yeah. also see how that could that could play into the progression of the album. I mean, you're it's very interesting how you're already into this whole idea and and then you basically it, it even became more urgent if that were possible. Totally. Yeah. The um, there like there there are so many different things that I that I want to ask you about, but I'm going to try to focus right now on, on the art of your sound as well, because when I talk about the art of your sound, visuals play such such a heavy role also with the music that you play, and it plays such it's in tandem basically with your sound from the very beginning. Um, that's what you have presented with the uh, singles that you've released back in the late '90s, right? <laughs> and and, and yeah. all the way up till today, that is just something that you have stuck with. And with your photography and the matching of the music, I, I'm wondering about that relationship between the two, and about. You know, is there a way to answer the question of what comes first? You know, the the picture or the sound, or it, is it just something? that's a state of mind that that feeds each other, just kind of like we're talking about with this this whole record approach. I, I'm going back in my mind to something like dispassionate furniture, like that that kind of idea, even you know, off of resuscitation, which is you know goes so goes so far back. It's that theme that is continuing throughout today. And I think that if people look at some of the imagery, they might not fully understand all of the story value of the pictures mm-hmm. that are going on because it can seem, again, it could seem maybe a little cold, maybe a little distant, maybe like, why is this leg hanging off over here? Why is why is there blood on, you know, on scissors? But somehow or another, you're always, you are always involving the person. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. And that's even interesting. I, I wasn't even aware of thinking about how the cover for this album is so relational to Dispassionate Furniture. You know, you're taking Dispassionate Furniture was a simple graphic of a three-legged chair. And now this record is actually like a photo of a chair, but now with a leg, but just a leg you know, an implied (laughs) body, but there's no body, you know, it's very like, you can look at it and then you're like, wait a minute, there's just, it's just a leg. And, um, yeah, it's very interesting how, um, well, we, we did actually discuss that because the graphic, which is quite crude from our first 12 inch from 1998, dispassionate furniture, the graphic was just a red chair that had three legs, and now we have a chair that has four legs and a leg. So it's, right. five, it's a five-legged chair from a three-legged chair. I know. This is funny, though. I wonder if Liz can see this. Not that anybody listening could see. This is the... T- oh, wow. This is like where it starts. Isn't wow. that funny? That is great. And then, I mean, even... 
You can't do visuals on I a radio know, but, show. Well, I know, but she can see it. So it's I like, can see it. you know, that's how it sort of initially starts. Like, what if it was just a leg? But but I think what you said is really powerful state of mind, which I have never heard anyone say before. Because you take someone like, you know, David Lynch or Cronenberg, and while they don't necessarily write the music do the cinematography it's all like it's a strong vision and people get on board for that vision and so whether it's a drawing or a photograph or the music that comes first nothing's going to look out of place because it's just from our minds you know there's no one else you know we've had bands that want nicola to do their photography and stuff and she's like no this is ours like once we do it for someone else then it's how how can that relate to your own music? So that's just something we've always done. The thing I like about the images that you also include with the music are the stories that aren't told. And there's that, that sense of, of, of mystery, whereas a lot of people are tempted to complete the story with the images. You kind of add to the narrative, which I think is brilliant. Do you have something to say, say it? I don't know if I want to say it. Oh. Because I was going to add information to the album cover that I don't know that I want to add. Then don't add it. I'm not going to... Keep the mystery even further (laughs) lingering in our minds. (laughs) I love that. Um, I want to talk about something that you've done. um, We'll get back to the record, but you've done a couple of things recently. One of the things you mentioned, of course is this behavior, which was, you know, definitely a different thing for you. You also did the house guests um, recently. And in a way, I mean, it's, it's a little bit, to me, it seems a little bit more experimenting with time and with place, definitely place, because you had everyone staying in your house. Mm-hmm. That was a definite part of, of it. If I'm not mistaken, this was part of a grant that you received. It was. This, this whole project. Yes, it was. The Knight Foundation. And then what was, it was submitted as such that you would have people stay in your house to do the record? That's right. The idea, then, the idea was that um, the way we pitched the grant was that musicians are always touring, but they never actually see a city. So people, yeah. people love, you know, like, it's hard to explain to people that don't tour. They'll say, you know, oh my God, you've been to Athens and we're like, yep, we were there about 12 hours. We got three hours of sleep. We played a show. We landed when it was dark and we flew out when it was dark. So it's like, you never, you know, I've never seen Athens actually. Yeah. <laughs> and so we argued that this grant would allow musicians to actually get to know Detroit and be able to go out and tell people how great of a city it was, even though many of the musicians had played here dozens of times, but they, other than Douglas, no one had ever really been here. Right. Nobody really, yeah, had any experience or connection to the city. So that's interesting. Never thought about it. Yeah. I mean, we always try to make some sort of formula or recipe so that we don't repeat ourselves, at least in the approach of the music. But, um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot more, you know, experimental stuff than that we normally do but we just looked at it as this is how we've worked 
in isolation for at that point, what, 15 years. And let's bring people into that exact isolation because the way we work with our studio being in our home, it's 24 seven, you know, you're, even when you think that you're done working, then somebody has an idea. And so we wanted to bring other people into that and they couldn't stay at a hotel. They had to stay here. And but then we were, you know, it was really interesting because we were also doing like <laughs> field trips, you know. So we were going to the, we were taking them to the Motown Museum, and um, we went uh, one house guest. We t- we went to Submerge. Um, we went to uh, United, United Sound. Sound uh, you know down for a river walk to the top of the Renton, you know, really just like exploring the city and, um, you know, kind of doing the Detroit tourist things, Heidelberg project, you know, the bead museum, all, all the things, Diego Rivera, you know, the city has so many wonderful things here. So it was actually very enlightening for us to take people around and, and, uh, see like how that affected them. And also you are the best house host ever because that would be <laughs> amazing to tour that if you had not tour, toured that. And, you know, I always do tell people that I've talked to if they if we're talking about Detroit, which I'm sure you have, too. And they're like, oh, I've you know, I've something like I've never been to Detroit. They never usually say I've always wanted to go to Detroit. But if they say I haven't been to Detroit, I say, you know what, if you if you want to go to Detroit ever, if something happens, you know, and you want to come. You kind of have to have the the right tour. You kind of have to know where to go. Exactly. It's not a place that is like, you know, you come to Los Angeles, you can choose any number of places to go to just by looking in the in the newspaper, so to speak, or, or looking online at the so-called tourist guides and attractions. Detroit is not like that. Right. So you have to know where to look. And, and it's great that you've uh, given your <laughs> your guests that kind of tour. That's amazing. The one thing we didn't realize that we discovered through interviews with this behavior was with Detroit house guests, we had, you know, people living with us and it was a very communal experience. And without even consciously thinking about it, we then decided our next record, we would go into isolation in northern Michigan in February and write the demos. And then during that you know, interview process through releasing that record, people said, well, wasn't, I'm guessing that was a reaction to having your last (laughs) record be so public. And now you want this new record to be very private and it made total sense. Then how do you explain this record following, following the other one? Uh, It was such a beautiful visual experience being on a lake at a lake house overlooking the Great Lakes. I mean, you could see the Mackinac Bridge from the house. Um, the we wanted to then negate the visual beauty. Let me ask you specifically now about this record again, because I did tell you I was going to. I just, I just had to ask you those other questions. First, let's talk about the total total damage video and the song as well. The the. I heard the song first through the video because that's that's just what I saw first. And I thought it was amazing. It was a, a completely 
appropriate visual and audio reaction to what's going on now with the pandemic, which you had no idea was about to come upon us when you did the song. Right. But with the video, you did have an idea at that point of, of what was about to happen, I think. The video was completely affected by COVID. So we were, obviously the song, the demo was written last September, I believe. Uh, it was one of, it's one of the only, every time for us that we go into the demo process, there's always that one song that comes together in one evening. Other songs can take days, weeks, fall apart even after weeks and not be released. But Total, Total Damage was that song that just immediately, once we had the main line, it just kept going and we basically had it, the demo completed in a night. And may I interrupt you? Mm-hmm. What was that song about? Well, I think it's just like the song was really about a total cultural breakdown and um, and the... Just the pure frustration of government, capitalism, society. Um, I mean, to me, that's what I, you know, it was like that. I did not write the lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and that's also where the title of the album comes out of is that song. So it was really like the head, like the sort of boiling point of of everything, of all the feelings kind of coming to a head was that song. And um, we wrote 12 demos for this record, and that was demo number 10. So I think there was also that like, you know, it's a, uh, being self-employed and being disciplined is is not that everyone doesn't have unique challenges but for an for an artist that's an artist's unique challenge is to continue to show up every day keep working um wonder if you're still valid is this music interesting are we growing etc and I think that song really came out of that anxiety that you have writing nine other demos and just going to work every day and trying to be quote unquote professional. But then all of a sudden this energy comes out yeah. in one night where you're just like, my God, it's been so hard. But it's also, I mean, it's just that feeling of like we're getting the wool pulled over our eyes and feeling like. You know, you want it, you need to break out of that and feeling the frustration of like, aren't other, aren't other people, are other people experiencing this? Are other people seeing this? Like what's, what is going on in society and in the world? And, um, like when is enough enough? Like just a sort of vapid, like, um, you know, out sort of outside, you know, when you're just like looking at social media and everything is just so on the veneer on the outside and like what surface surface. And it's like, what is really, you know, how do we feel on the inside? Like, 
So it's just a, it's a very. And I was only speaking about yeah, the energy and sure, the music. Sure. I don't, I think to have that energy, it's, it's important that it doesn't always have to be that way, but that the demo can be made in one night. Right. If you're going to get that energy in there. And I'm like, both of us are, are huge Drexia fans. And we listened to Drexia constantly and, and, and really studied it before working on this record. And they always have that where just feel, even though you know every song's not like this, but it feels like they sat down, they turned on the gear, and they just did it in one take. They have that ease that is always in their in their production. And so I'm only speaking about the energy and the music, not what the lyrics yeah. are about. But the, I mean, a couple things to go off, off on that one. One thing is that it's been just quite a high anxiety year. It was quite a high anxiety year between all the pol- political things that that had been happening and then were mounting toward happening with the with the different debates. So I I can kind of see that filtering in is that if that's okay for me to observe that that t- general tension could possibly mm-hmm. have played a role. Yeah. Yeah, but what I think is so amazing about Nicola as a lyricist is she never writes about a specific incident. Not that that's not a bad thing. I mean, you know, we love Dead Kennedys and many of Jello's lyrics are very specific about what, you know, he's naming politicians in songs and things like that. But Nicola always makes specific things universal and it's been really interesting how many fans of ours have been sending us messages about certain songs from nausea to you don't worry enough uh that means so much right now right even though they were written 18 years ago i mean we wrote or Nicola wrote the lyrics to I'm Inclined to Vomit in 2007 about a specific experience of a public homophobic experience with some friends. And yet when Trump got elected, tons of people posted it as the song about that. So that's what I'm, I, I just, I'm always impressed at how her lyrics can be specific and universal. But I think, let's face it, you know, for a while now, there has been a great feeling of disillusion and like, what, you know, what does that mean? Right? Yeah, right. And it's also the the idea of like the, the same experience, different name. And that experience does travel, unfortunately. Unfortunately, in certain cases, the world does not change. And those, those things repeat. And um, I think that's a, that's really interesting that, that the music, you know, that your fans have actually written to you about that. I also wanted to ask you about Drexia because I, I think that a lot of people would not suspect necessarily the Drexia influence, which I'm a huge fan of Drexia and, and you know, we're, you and I and all of us, were, you know, we're around D- Detroit techno in Detroit when we were all there and, and you are still and, and it still is pervasive around us. But Drexia has this special underground uh, quality, which also actually um, does 
play in, I think, to possibly some of the perception is as of deception for this record as well, in addition to your, your overall theme. But what is it that you relate to when it comes to Drexia? Um, that it's somehow put into the category of Detroit techno or Detroit electro, but it's absolutely its own thing. Yeah, it, I think it's just punk, period. You know, it's raw, it's visceral, it's it's immediate. It um, sort of takes you to a certain place, right? It takes your mind to another level. Feel, Feel the, the power, power of, of the... the- <laughs> that was amazing. And that's one of their songs. It's our favorite. Um, they're just, uh, you know, simple solutions that you know are never easy. You know, it's not like they did it in the first moment, but, um, you know, it's like minimalism. It looks so easy, but it's not. Um, they never, ever wavered from who they were. They created this entire story behind their name, and I, I just—they're just on every level, visually, everything. It also has to do with a little bit of the ingeniousness of taking what you have and making your art with it. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's also—it's the real McCoy, you know, and that's hard, and that's what we've always strived to present is the real McCoy. So I've always respected that. Even though they were secretive of who they were, etc., there was no artifice or trying to be something else. What you see, what you see is what you get. That kind of idea. What is the real McCoy when it comes to adult? I'm sorry, we're having technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you not going to answer that question we're like we're not answering that question no it's a hard question isn't he a character on star trek (laughs) ah that's good that's a nice one what is it you've been striving to do what is it that you know you when you first came onto the scene and some of this can still apply today but maybe not when you first came onto the scene, it it was like adult. Wait, wait, who is it? Wait, they're they're kind of like these like indie, but they're kind of like these punk rock, but kind of they're electronic, but they're kind of like heavy metal almost in a certain kind of way. What are these people? And it was very much of this. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is just mixing up things and just doing whatever it is that you think you need to do however that plays out, saying whatever you need to say with whatever it is that you have. And that's kind of that the Drexia kind of comparison that I was talking about. Because Drexia, whatever, whatever they're trying to say, whatever you think they're trying to say, and whatever they think they're trying to say, they just did it in whatever way that they knew how. When you first started with adult, do you recall what it is that you felt you needed to say? Well, I mean, I feel like in many regards it was, well, it, you know, obviously it was like a total accident that it happened, but um, it was also just react. You know, I think we've always, always just been reacting 
against what's what's popular, what's going on. Um, maybe not so much anymore, but in the early days, certainly. So, you know, here we are in electronic music um, now, putting on a sh- putting on a show, whereas it was in general just a lot of dudes, kind of like at a bank twelve foot long banquet table doing their thing like you know not really putting on a show so to speak and here we come in and we're like totally approaching it from a different way but I think you know um for us like when you just like what you were saying it's like you can take somebody like um the visual artist Martin Kippenberger and I think, you know, if you could like say, what is your music like? I would like visually, I would say our music visually is like Martin Kippenberger, where he has a lot to say and he just says it by whatever means is available visually. So it's like, okay, if it's just like hotel notepads and drawings on that, or if it's, you know, like a bunch of garbage he found in the corner, like, and he assembles it into, he's just somebody who says, I have these materials at hand and I'm going to make this work. Right. And uh, yeah, I've never heard you say that. That's amazing. I would say what we strive for is in regards to being the real McCoy is, (laughs) no, you no is that we do exactly what we feel we're we've never set up any systems that would pressure us no managers no staff no one that we have to report to we work with record labels that have always been about artistic um that the artist has a hundred percent control over the creativity um there's no one deciding you know this song shouldn't be on the record this should obviously the first three or two albums were on our own label. So, uh, that gave us that foundation of total freedom. No, it was very hard, very difficult working with ourselves. Well, that's true. And uh, so I think an example, so a song that a lot of people, uh, seem to like of ours is called nightlife and it's from 2001. It was on ghostly international the reason I believe we've always had a bit of a problem with the song is we were asked to interpret Italio disco through our filter. So for us, it's never been 100% adult. It was an experiment of pretending we were some other kind of producer. And so... With most of our catalog, it's it's 100% us. And so with that song, we always f- have felt it's not 100% us. So that's an example of what uh, um, it means to be the real McCoy. That's interesting. Can we stop saying that word? Maybe we could yeah. at least play Susie and the Banshees, uh, <laughs> Sorry. the real McCoy, whatever yeah. that song is. <laughs> No, I was just going to add one thing. I mean, I think really ultimately um, what what we strive for, at least what, you know, I feel like I'm working towards is just keeping culture weird. I think it's a really difficult task at hand um, with how connected 
the world is now through social media and, um, you know, popularity uh, with numbers and all that shit. And I think it's really the hardest thing right now is like, what does that mean? And how important is that? Like that the underground remains weird, (laughs) if that makes any sense. I think it does. And it also does through, for example, lyrics for Why Always Why. That Mm -hmm. seems to be a a place where you express some of those ideas lyrically. Yeah. The talking about consumption. Yeah. And talking about social media. Yeah. And how has that affected you as a band? I mean, social media has been, I mean, we did an interview last year and someone said, did you pick your name adult so that you would be hard to find on Google? And we said, well, actually, we came up with our name a year before Google was founded. And this young interviewer was, you know, whoa, you know, holy shit, there was a time before Google. <laughs> and and that's not a judge. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not a judgment call. Um, I, I can't imagine being uh, younger and navigating all of this. Yeah. But yeah, when... <laughs> There's there's a documentary called I think it's called Real to Real and it's about film versus digital and Keanu Reeves is the host and it's a really good documentary and some filmmakers were talking about you know they they would not ever leave film and other filmmakers made the transition to digital and all that and well, anyways one filmmaker said you know well times changed and so I changed and once I kind of heard that it was. Like, okay, you can complain that social media is a pain in the butt, but that's the way it is. So if you don't like it, you know, go get a job somewhere that doesn't involve social media, but ours does. And, you know, it can be extremely satisfying, especially now in the lockdown pandemic. It's a wonderful way to connect, but it can also be very frustrating because like when you're on tour, van time used to be such a a wonderful little, like, break on the road you just you know look out the window and read read a book and now it's like you know we too we often have you know our support bands touring with us and stuff and you're all in the van and everyone's on their phone because it's your job to post about the next day and about the night before and while it's satisfying it's a double-edged sword yeah it can be it's satisfying it can also be like oh my god i just want to look out the window and space out for a minute does it? Do you think it changes the relationship with your audience as far as what, what they perceive? It does. It's also very positive. I just had a fan in Dallas who was asking about, you know, the tickets, like has the tour been canceled or postponed? And she just wrote all these really nice things back about, you know, well, I'll, I'm here to support you guys and I can't wait. I don't, you know. It sucks that it got moved to the fall, but I'll be there in the fall. And that's something you didn't have in the past. You didn't know if people cared. But, you know, it's the whole idea now of just what is social media doing to us? Because it's not like, you know, it's like the whole billboard thing. You can drive down the road and you can see a billboard and that's fine. But now it's like, you know. That billboard doesn't interact with you. Yeah. But now it's like it's looking back at you. 
Can I ask you, as, 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 I don't know if you look, as you look back or as you were doing it, what is, is there a song on the record that, that was very surprising to you that was the most surprising that you thought, wow, how did this happen? Mm. Or this finally happened or, oh my God, I never wanted this to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was definitely why always why. And I can remember for months of, you know, going back, listening to demos, fleshing it out into final production, getting the masters. Nicola would always say, how did we write that song? (laughs) And the, and I would always say, well, I was in the basement and I was writing the MIDI line and then you yelled down the basement stairs, it's too slow, do it in double time. And then I hit double time and it was like, holy, like this is cr- like this just, is nothing exploded. like we've ever. Yeah. And that's why I like electronic music as say opposed to like acoustic guitar singer songwriter is you have these chance encounters with technology that will do things that you never thought of and or you may have thought of but you didn't know how to realize them and so there's a lot in that song that it sounds like us especially in the breakdown but i think when it starts it's just it to me it doesn't sound like anything we've ever done before is that one of the songs that you plan to perform live whenever that happens again? <laughs> this is the first time that we plan to play every song on the album live. Oh, wow. We've never done that in the past. And so one of the re- one of the things that we did when we took a small amount of gear from our studio into the basement was that that could then, whatever we were writing had to be performable. And that might be why, I mean, you know, like, why bother has songs like harvest or um nervous wreck is on anxiety always there's always been these kind of i don't know i don't want to call them experimental because i don't really think we are but these songs that really couldn't be played live they wouldn't work and this that was a that was sort of in the in our manifesto of the you know you had to be in the basement when working it had to be completely black Lights had to be dim, no windows, and um, the consideration of how would these be performed live. Which will probably include four minutes and 33 seconds in there too then, right? (laughs) (laughs) That'd be awesome. Take a never thought of take that. Take a break. I'm going to drink this glass of wine for four minutes and 33 seconds while all of you stare at me. <laughs> sounds, I think the fans sounds get great. Into it. Sounds great. I think so. I, th- I think you're onto something. <laughs> I know. I never thought of that. Damn. I know things are really kind of uncertain right now as far as when everything's going to get up and rolling again. But I know that your fans are anxiously awaiting for when they can see you perform live. Um, And I'm not even going to ask you to tell me about what you think or when you think that's going to happen or what you think that's going to look like. So I'm just going to encourage everybody to go to the usual outlets and to uh, keep up with with everything that you're doing. Hang tight. We're currently working on rebooking the tour for North America starting at the beginning of October. But we'll uh, see. That's not confirmed. We're, it's yeah. it's work. Our, our agent, Natasha, is phenomenal. She's 
Yeah, but no, figuring but, you know, stuff out daily. But I mean, everyone has to just like renegotiate. You know, every day it's like a renegotiation. It's like we always say, it's like you wake up in the morning and you first wake up and you're like, ah, and then you're like, oh shit, it's still the pandemic. You know, and it's exhausting. Yeah, and you lose track of days. Yeah, we always have. That's yeah. a, that's a one thing <laughs> that for us, like you know, people talk about that, and we're like, we've never known. I mean, think about it. You're, you're touring. You're playing on a Sunday night. You're playing on a Tuesday night. Like you never know. Um, you know, there's always the jokes of like bands that get on stage and are like, "Good evening, Pittsburgh," and it's like, "No, no, you're you're in a, you're in Cleveland." It's like, you know, it's a it's a real thing with musicians. You just don't know what day it is. Or what time it is. <laughs> we like to keep you all locked away like that, you know. So thanks for yeah. indulging us by doing a whole record that's kind of of that whole approach. So you're you're primed and you're ready to go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for for your time and we'll uh we'll look forward to seeing you whenever you do make it out there on the road. Yes, thank you. Thank Liz. you. This interview originally aired on Alternate Take on April 11th, 2020. Thanks to adult Nicola Cooperis and Adam Lee Miller for not only their time, but for their significant contribution to the recording of this interview, and for somehow managing to find a way to sing the lyrics to a song by Drexia. Find a full playlist for this interview, along with referenced images, online at dublab.com. I'm Liz Warner. And this is Dublab, community-supported radio, broadcasting from Los Angeles.